CrowdStrike stops breaches. These days, critical work isn't done from the protection of a corporate network. It happens at cafes, back offices, and at home. New ways of working mean new attacks. New attacks require new defenses. CrowdStrike stops breaches so you can do what you do best. CrowdStrike, we stop so you can go. CrowdStrike is offering Security Weekly listeners 15 days free access to its platform. See how it works at securityweekly.com forward slash CrowdStrike. The question is simple. Have any of the systems on my network been compromised? The answer is harder than it should be. Enter AI Hunter. Active Countermeasures has automated and streamlined techniques used by the best pen testers and threat hunters in the industry to create AI Hunter, a network threat hunting solution that does the first pass of a hunt for you to identify systems that are most likely to be compromised and scores the results on a scale from 0 to 100. You can then research those systems in depth with AI Hunter. Focus your valuable time on the systems that need your expertise with AI Hunter. Sign up for a personal demo today at securityweekly.com forward slash ACM. Welcome back, everyone, to Enterprise Security Weekly. Besides, Boston is back in action for their 10-year anniversary. The conference will be virtually held on Saturday, September 26th. Tickets are only 10 bucks. You can get yours at besidesbos.org. Some of the Security Weekly team will have our own channel in the Besides Boston Discord server, answering questions and possibly doing some contests. No stranger to the show, Farah Mavatuna is the CEO and founder of NetSparker and joins us today to talk about the current needs of modern enterprises with respects to web application security. Farah, welcome to the show. Hey, Paul. Thank you for having me again. It's nice to be back. Yes, yes. Nice to have you again, as always. Farah, um, one of the things that uh, you were just actually mentioning in the break that uh, is I have a question about is... If I um, am responsible for security in a large enterprise and I want to do the discovery phase to know what I have, how do I know where to look if I don't know what I have, right? How does NetSparker enable me to find things that I don't know about? I can't even tell NetSparker sometimes where to look maybe, right? Because I don't know that those exist. So how do you start in that journey of, of discovery? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in NetSparker, it's pretty straightforward, to be honest. You just kind of, uh, if you already onboarded some websites, we kind of use them as a seed to look for, you know, uh, same domain, same owners, uh, same certificates, all that, like, general, you know, OSINT approach. Mm -hmm. uh, if you haven't even onboarded your website, you can say, hey, these are my brands, this is what I have, and you can kind of then further filter down who you are or who you are not, so we are not, like, getting to you know, I am X and I don't want to see X, Y kind of situation. Mm -hmm. But that, that's very straightforward. And that's like, you know, uh, kind of as you touch the bigger topic, that's like first your first step into, you know, um, into web application security as an enterprise. Like, let's first figure out what we have so we can start securing it. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, so basically it would crawl uh, and say, hey, you told me to scan this website, but in the process, NetSparker will discover those through certificate chains, through, you know, hot linking on the, the website and things of that nature, right? So actually, when it comes to discovery, I mean, we utilize all of that, mm -hmm. but the main utilization is around two key things, which is one of the internet scan data. So just like all the host names, et cetera, whatever is publicly available. Mm -hmm. The other key PC formation is SSL certificate data. Again, you know, what we do uh, with a bunch of other crawl data, we update that every day and it's all passive discovery. Mm -hmm. So we already got this massive database that's being, you know, uh, updated regularly. 
And then when you type a keyword, it's like literally within seconds, you will get the list. And, you know, if you have a like big organization, you can even get like, you know, hundreds of thousands of domains within right. within seconds. Yeah, that's so awesome. Are, are you actually doing that passively for pretty much the whole internet? So anytime a, a company comes on, they can instantly get like a starting point for their inventory? Yeah, yeah, actually, that's that's kind of crazy. And funny, funny thing right now in the product, you can just do it. So you can just do it for any any string. So it doesn't even have to be your company. So it's kind of like, you know, you can use it in general or things. But yeah, it's all passive. That's um, very immediate feedback. Um, there's some minor downside, obviously, such as you're not getting active pod scanning or like internal uh, discovery doesn't exist within that approach. So it's all external stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's all instant. It's there. It's already compiled. <laughs> and yeah, so, I mean, yeah. Well, it's a great, yeah. a great point. How do you pivot internally and do that? Do you still have to rely on, you know, port scanning and other things that are outside of the NetSpark or product to do that internal scanning, right? Yeah, that, that is correct right now. So one of the things on our roadmap is actually improving our discovery to cover internal scanning as well. And, and right now we have our team, you know, when necessary, helping our enterprise customers to kick that off, you mm. know, help them with the onboarding and the discovery and whatnot. And it's pretty much like, you know, as you can imagine, right? You do the port scans, you do the usual discovery stuff because, you know, when you move to internal, unless... Um, you know, if it's DNS related, by the way, that's something we still discover. Mm -hmm. So it can be your internal server, but you got a publicly available a DNS name attached to it and somehow maybe got a certificate or something like that. We will find all of that. But if it's truly internal with no exposure to outside, then, you know, obviously all publicly available intelligence sources is out of the window now. Like you have to stick with old school, but mm -hmm. old scan everything. Right, right. Are, are there a lot of enterprises that still have internal apps that don't talk externally? Just curious. <laughs> that's, that's, that's funny. You're right. Like, I mean, to be honest, more and more, you know, recently we were working with a customer and there was this massive amount of websites that weren't reachable. And because, as you can imagine, because they were all internal, but like externally identifiable and discoverable. Uh, but like when you externally reach it, it's not reachable. But for them, obviously, you know, they are within the network. They can see it. So, yeah, I mean, less and less, right? Uh, all of the enterprises are moving definitely up to the cloud. And we, we provide on-prem, uh, hybrid, on-cloud, private cloud deployment. So pretty much like whatever you want, you know, we deploy. And historically, we build it that way. Because when we start doing this, like people were almost afraid of the cloud when it comes to security stuff. And today, even our on-prem customers say, look, you know, I, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Move, to, move, move me to the clouds. And it's just like, a, I think what we expect is it's just taking its time. And, you know, when I look at, for example, static um, source code scanners, they are still having to challenge harder than dynamic scanners because people are still quite reluctant to move their source code to the cloud. But again, we know companies doing that. And, you know, I think we are only going to see more companies will do that as well. So as you go out and identify these web applications, right, and and I find in, and I get my inventory and, and then I start to scan them, there's, there's always this fun, like, okay, I got like a bajillion things to fix. Mm. Um, how do organizations start thinking about this migration to the cloud, right? Maybe it is on-prem and they want to move it to the cloud or if it's already in the cloud. How, how do you help them differentiate like priorities from a, 
is, is it is it based on their migration strategy? Is it where it already lives and where the highest risk is? How do organizations deal with some of that prioritization across these different environments? Yeah, so that's actually a huge deal. And as you said, um, what we have seen time and time, and to be honest, we only started to see this after we started to work with bigger customers, right? I and mean, back in the day, uh, we started doing this in 2009. And, and back in the day, we used to see, okay, here is my 30 websites. And if you've got a SQL injection, you just fix it. <laughs> you, know, mm. you don't discuss whether you want to fix it or not, you just fix it. If you got a cross-site scripting, again, in an ideal world, you just fix it. I mean, it might take a couple of days, whatnot, but like in a third application, it's very straightforward decision. Decision is already made. You know, it's all about action. But when we move uh, and started to work on the enterprise, which is almost since 2015, we have been focusing heavily on the enterprise problems in web application security and building the, you know, not just a fix this, fix that, but like building a program for the customer. You know, how do you solve, not like 50 application security, but how do you solve application security problem when you have thousands of them? And this is where the challenge begins, right? Like they have five people on their team and sure, they got tons of developers, but like these five people is the AppSec team bottleneck almost. And then they got these, you know, let's say 1,000 scan, and I got they got 10,000 issues, and they got like I don't know 500 SQL injections. So now they cannot just say let's fix this because, yeah, I mean they can fix all of them, and possibly that's what they want to, but it's gonna take ages. And if you don't know what matters, then you know it's, it's gonna be quite challenging. So when it comes to that, I'm mean, there a couple of things, right? First of all, you need to know what your mission critical things are. Uh, the second thing, you need to know which vulnerabilities are even real to begin with. So if you start with something like, hey, look, okay, I've got, I don't know, let's start with the most critical SQL injection. Uh, like I've got 300 of them and I've got like a thousand cross-site scriptings. And if my next job on a, as an application security team is literally reviewing every single one of them, then, you know, you, you know it's not going to work. It's not going to fly. It's not going to scale. None of that. So I think the two things, right? One thing you need to prioritize, but there's like a almost better approach, which is you need to like decentralize that. You need to scale, not the scanning, scanning already scaled, everyone scales it, but scale the process of how you deal with identified vulnerabilities. And most straightforward way of doing it is how we approach it. You know, as I mentioned, like solving web application as a program, rather than you got this problem and fix it, which can easily turn on, turn to be this 3,000 item to-do list. But instead of that, imagine a world, when a vulnerability arrives, you send that vulnerability to person who's supposed to fix it. So in, in, a, in a normal enterprise organization, you would see like 510 AppSec oriented people, and then you know, up to easy 1,000 developers and so many development teams. And the fix, almost always done by the development teams, uh, but the coordination, again, is, is very heavily on the AppSec teams, right? I mean, while <coughs> we are trying to shift left and all of that, and that, that's a progress, I'm gonna touch that. At the end of the day, what you wanna do, when the vulnerability arrives, you want to send it to the person who is gonna fix it. But you can only do this if you know the vulnerability is real, which is, again, you know, what we do is like automatically prove that the vulnerability is real. So that's, you know, our, our technology-proof-based scanning. So when developer gets a SQL injection, they don't only get a report that says, oh, there might be a SQL injection here. 
They get a report that says, there's a SQL injection in your application, and you know, this is your database name, this is your database user, mm. uh, and you know, maybe some more information, this is your database version, for example. <clears throat> and no developer ever argue with that kind of reports. So you always get, developer gets a report, they know, okay, there's a SQL injection, I just gotta fix this. And now you kind of distribute it to whole fixed cycle and at a centralized level, not as an AppSec team, not you got the visibility and you get to build stuff like SLAs to say, hey, these are the problems that's been sent and need to be fixed. And if it's not fixed, then you react. If it's already fixed, there is an automation re automated retest process. So it, it just works. So you just, as an AppSec team, you build a program and your organization works with that program. And all that happens within the workflow of developers or network admins or whomever is supposed to fix that particular vulnerability, they get a ticket on their Jira. They don't need to log in anywhere else. They don't need to do anything else. They just go on with their day as usual, but instead of a bug ticket, instead of a feature ticket, they got a security ticket that says, hey, here's a problem, here's the details. Farah, um in our own environment, it's pretty easy to know who's responsible to fix it, right? It's either me or it's Marson that are going to work on fixing whatever's wrong with all of our, you know, web properties and applications, right? And when you get into larger organizations, they've got, as you said, you know, multiple teams, thousands of developers. Uh, how are organizations creating that mapping of application to um, you know, development team and managing that? Is that in NetSparker? Is that in Jira? Is there other software? And how is that tied together? Right, right. I mean, NetSparker, we do give them tools to do that. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's a very organizational challenge. You know, mm -hmm. if the person who's using NetSparker uh, don't know who's supposed to take care of this application, then you know all the tools that we are giving to the person is not going to help. But right. NetSparker got this concept of ownership, responsibility, technical contact, etc., and all of your workflow can work around that. So you can say this vulnerability escalated to this person, this vulnerability goes to this group, and this integrations page of duty, you know, service now, etc. So you got like that workflow with filters and and all of that. And relatively, you can say send this ticket to the technical owner or the individual developer who made the commit when mm -hmm. SDLC integration is enabled. Mm. But at the end of the day, you're right. Like you still need to know uh, which development team or individual or a group still owns the responsibility to address that. Right, right. And, and that's still something you just have to build that in your organization, right? And, and that's one of the things I think, you know, uh, in organizations, what I generally, you know, if they haven't started to do this, and so many of them haven't, or they are very early on in their journey, before building up your web secrets program, or today, what you should be thinking about, hey, am I keeping track of who is responsible of what? Am I keeping track of all the assets that we are launching? And that's never going to be enough. Mm. Your policy is never going to cover 100%. So you will still do your discovery. You will still do your stuff like, I don't know who owns this today, but let me find it. But if you start it today, your life will be easier when you truly scale your web application secrets program or build it. Because this is one of those things. It takes an organization to move. And it's not something, hey, we brought a tool and fixed it. 
uh, it's just part of the game, but you got to start that game on your end as early as possible. So when you actually start having a more mature program, you already got a good understanding and your newly launched assets like websites across the globe is actually going through a policy process that and registering their you know, applications rather than you constantly finding it forever. Yeah, there needs to be a central repository and that also needs to include applications you may not develop internally, right? I'm sure there's also use cases, right, that funnel into an operations team of some kind because you're running WordPress or some other off-the-shelf uh, software that maybe isn't even open source, right? And NetSparker's found it. I've been in this position, right? NetSparker finds a vulnerability. Either you're running an older version or NetSparker found a zero day. Uh, I'm sure both <laughs> both things happen. And it's not a developer that needs to fix it. It has to go to an operations team to go follow up with the vendor. And do companies define that workflow after they've done this discovery? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Actually, that's one of the reasons why dust is such a key piece of security, mm. you know, because if you think about, again, you should be shifting that you should be securing your application from the get go. Mm -hmm. But like whatever you do in your source code, you can be 100% secure and still get hacked, yeah. you know, pretty much like your dependencies as well as off the shelf products on your, you know, infrastructure. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's absolutely the way the, the, the companies approach this. So they put all their production off the shelf, legacy, internal applications on NetSparker. And when they look at NetSparker, they're like, hey, this is, this is my organization's web security's real state because we also get to prove the vulnerabilities real or not. So like at a given time, they can log into their dashboard and say, oh, I know these assets are vulnerable and can be hacked right now with 100% certainty. Mm. And that's that's a lot of, you know, that means a lot because it, it just changes the way you look at your web application security because you got true visibility of it rather than I've got all these numbers and some percentage of that might be, you know, important, but you kind of don't really know and just guessing. Do you find that uh, enterprises are looking for ways to implement some kind of virtual fix or some other remediation other than fixing the code because their developers are busy, NetSparkers fund all these bugs, and they're like, this is a critical application. I need something in the meantime. Do you find them doing that and being effective uh, as well? So, yeah, I mean, definitely a, a lot of organizations trying to, you know, shorten the, um, like, close that window of attack, right? So mm -hmm. the, the time to you discover a vulnerability exists and time to close that. And in between, someone can hack you. Um, so a lot of organizations try to do that. It, it's kind of hard to do for various reasons. But one of the obvious ways that we solve in NetSparker is because we can prove a vulnerability is real, now we automatically integrate with web application firewalls and mm -hmm. kind of hot patch the vulnerability. Right. So it gives you enough time to go back and development and fix it. But again, you cannot do this if you are getting false positives, because mm. if you are getting false positives, then you might be just blocking legitimate traffic on your web application firewall. So that's definitely trends uh, happening in that, you know, in addition to being agile and React as uh, quite well, especially if it's a legacy application that you don't have the source code or, right. you know, whether you are waiting for a vendor fix or vendor fix is there, but you cannot just update because it's going to break half of your stuff, then yeah, web application firewall integration and doing it automatically is actually pretty cool. Mm. Matt, sorry, did you have a comment in there too? Oh, I, I was, I, I, I want some guidance, right? Let's say I'm a large organization and I haven't done this. Now, 
that 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 ex that may not exist, right? Do I start with going out to try to discover everything and and try to get that initial inventory first, and then kind of retrofit back ownership, or do I go to DevOps into the pipeline and try to integrate NetSparker into the process? So that as new stuff comes out, mm -hmm. uh, it's getting tagged right. W where do you start? Do you, mm -hmm. Or do you start at both ends and try to work towards the mm -hmm. middle? I'm like, mm -hmm. how do people approach this? Right, right, right. I mean, there are like many ways people are approaching this. But what we discover is the right way to approach is kind of you got to, first of all, you got to fight the fires, right? Mm. In any organization today, and I, I can't like, I mean, this must be 90% applicable to the organizations in the wild. <laughs> so their situation is they are getting hacked right and left. Uh, they are, and when I say hacked, sometimes they truly get hacked with small breaches and stuff. They don't know, they don't notice, or it's a small breach, like, so don't, don't make the news. Or they are getting so many vulnerabilities reported from the, you know, uh, vulnerability bug, bug bounty programs. Or they just like they just don't know even don't even know what's happening. So in that like and that's your you know that's majority of the organizations are like that on the on the small scale right. So on the small websites etc. Not on the mission critical websites. So their approach today is mostly okay. Let me focus on my mission critical websites, meaning SAST, Dust, Pentest. Uh, security source code audits, whatever they can do. Like they, they generally at a good level on that or trying to be good at that, but still not a program, but more like a more like a process. But it kind of works despite of making them sometimes slower. So that's your like mission critical websites. And everyone got a good grasp on their mission critical websites. They know what makes them as a company, you know. If you talk about Google, Google, no, Google.com is mission critical. Right. And they, they know another like 5,100 yeah. websites is like their mission critical core websites. But once you get outside of that, which is, you know, coming to your question, then you need to discover everything. And how do you even start? Like you need to... Do, do you start from like the source code? What we discovered as the best practice, first of all, you got to fight the fire. So you got applications out there which might be vulnerable or get hacked right now. So there are long-term good implementations like shifting left, but do you have six to 12 months? And do you accept that six to 12 months staying vulnerable? while you are building this perfect world for yourself. And in the future, you might be introducing zero vulnerabilities because you are getting security trainings, you are implementing tools on your, you know, uh, SDLC, et cetera. So no, like that, that's, you know, the answer. And six to 12 months is being reasonable if you are trying to implement this to hundreds of, you know, pipelines and, and dev teams. So what we recommend and what we have observed, okay, look, first of all, get a discovery, Give give you uh, the assets that you already know, so your mission critical, whatnot, your discovery, so the new website. So whatever we put in, let's put in and let's scan first. And because we know what is real, what is not, we can immediately get a good picture of uh, what is your current situation. So do you actually have like tons of critical vulnerabilities in many of your websites that you don't even know you are sleeping on them or they are actually getting hacked, you're not even aware? First, you got to start fixing that stuff. 
And once you do that, now you get a very good understanding which one of your assets needs closer attention because you can say, hey, look, these 50 websites, which actually turns out developed by the same dev group, clearly got a problem. They keep introducing vulnerabilities. They don't even have the basic you know, security understanding. So, okay, let's you know, uh, first fix this. Let's get them security training, right? Let's now start shifting left on that because that's very mission, like maybe not mission critical, but very important or maybe mission critical. Let's, let's definitely start building a program around it on the SDLC because they need it. But so what this gives you, you get quick value out of your new web security program. You don't have to wait years or months or anything like that. It's very quick value. And then as you are maturing up, you know where to focus, where to start, you know, shifting your left process. And also you start integrating everything, discover responsible parties. So it's a journey, but we believe you got to start from where the vulnerability is rather than, okay, let me stop introducing vulnerability in six months kind of approach, which is a which is a very different way. And you can even do the same with SaaS. Like, you know, I mean, if you look at SaaS implementation, it's a similar journey. You don't just say, okay, let me do all the integration. First of all, you say, okay, let me just scan this. Let me scan this source code and what I have. Then I need to configure, get it to the right place. And then I can only then, when everything works, integrate into SDLC because obviously in the SaaS, you got another big challenge, which is like false positives kind of problematic from automation point of view. So it requires a lot of double checking, uh, but it's just the nature of it. But, you know, you know, the sum it up, you start from that like where the vulnerability is rather than Juiz, which is your production, which is your in external exposed, even on the internal, but which is actually deployed up and running applications. And once you get that picture, now you know how to move shift left, um, where to focus, uh, which uh, websites responsible parties need to be prioritized so you can go around the organization and say, who owned this, who owned that, who owned that, like you guys got to fix this. Instead of just saying, hey, here's my 3000 website, let me start from you know, any random order, right, right. <laughs> which you know, uh, definitely not an not a efficient way to get to that value. And, and keep in mind one last topic on this. In an enterprise organization, one of the big challenges of the AppSec teams, they got to justify their investments and time. And if they are just spinning for 12 months and cannot go up and say, hey, I made our security 20% better, 50% better, 30% better, then they're not going to get anywhere. They're not going to get invested as people or as in tools or like whatever they need. Or they are going to get any further time because they will ask, you know, they will ask a simple question. Hey, you had 12 months, you got no proper measurable improvements across our organization because, you know, the reality is they had progress, but the value hasn't been created yet. Uh, so being very late to reach that value is very problematic for like AppSec leaders, uh, general security leaders and, you know, individual executioners of these programs. Yeah, it, no, it, it's true. And I, I think that by focusing on what's most important to the business where i mean and you know where the bodies are buried if you've worked for the organization for any you know lengthy amount of time starting there fixing some problems shows value and also builds confidence in the teams and i think when uh, you know you say shifting left what i found farah 
and I'm curious to see if you found this too in your customers, is it in uh, doing a CICD pipeline, implementing DevOps, doing the shift left, one of the things that I've seen very successful organizations do is really restructure their teams and breaking down silos, uh, you know, a page out of the, the unicorn project, right? Um, and creating teams that have developers that have reliability engineers and test people. I don't even think we call them QA anymore. They're really developers that are, are writing tests, right? It's got a security person on the team and it's got an operations person on the team. And they're no longer living in four or five different departments and they're all pointing fingers at each other going, it's your problem, right? Now there's one functional team that's responsible for an application or a piece of a larger application. Those are the people that get the tickets and they can operate in an awesome manner because they can write code, they can test code, they can have security, and they can deploy it all as one functional team. Do you find organizations moving there? And that's, of course, I think a slower journey, right? Oh yeah, definitely. I think I think we understand certain best practices today as the application security world and software development world. And and to your comment, actually, we as an organization on software development pretty much move to the same methodology. You know, there having you the, yeah, that's like awesome. one team kind of self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. uh, however, when it comes to security, I think there are two part of the game. One is having that group, having the right dynamic having the right training and right AppSec people and the resources within the teams, that's definitely a long-term goal. Mm -hmm. And as you said, it's something everyone is moving, but it's a very slow progress. And it's also limited impact because like, you cannot do that for every single development team pretty much. I mean, at, at least I haven't seen that mm -hmm. successfully happen. Right, right. Now, the second part of that problem is consistency. And, and again, you know, we talk about decentralization, but also there's a centralization piece of it. So in our organization, you know, in, in many enterprises, what when we talk with uh, our customers and generally they are the AppSec teams and we got individual software development teams using our product. Mm -hmm. uh, but on the enterprise adoption, the centralized AppSec teams utilize our product because what they do, they build a web security program for the organization not just for one dev team. Mm -hmm. And that's where consistency and best practice comes in. And what they tell us, they tell us, hey, look, all these development teams begging us to give them the right tools and the integration so they can do the best practice on app security. Mm -hmm. But they don't get to do that internally, or even when they do, they kind of fail and you lost the visibility as an organization. Now you've got individually inconsistent execution across the board. So what you want to do, you want this centralized group building the best practice, integrations, tools, APIs, whatnot, and providing, when I say build, like this is buy, build, integrate, configure kind of yep. model. Yep. And then giving them to these teams so they can utilize it. But to be honest with you, um, you know, shifting left, having that kind of uh, team groups, whatnot, all of these are kind of the nirvana of app security. And the reality is nothing close to that. Like mm. the reality is everyone is fighting fires, trying to not be breached yet another day. And, and all of these is kind of, I, I mean, the, the great example would be if like building those teams, having a proper, you know, progress, integration, whatnot is like running in AppSec, like majority of the organizations are crawling 
So you cannot just go crawling to running. Mm -hmm. You got to walk first. And and that's where this comes in. You got to like walk, which is like find your vulnerabilities, find where you are, then start integrating. Then build your program to give them the options to integrate and train them, evangelize them internally, because you cannot like generally cannot enforce this in many organizations. But once that's done, and it's an adoptable, reasonable process with like the approach that we take in NetSpark, uh, integrate with all the SDLC, don't send false positives. So you earn developers respect and trust. And if you can do that, then you're going to reach that maturity level. So you were crawling, now you are walking, and you are building towards a world that you will be running. But if you're doing any statistical thing, uh, I bet my money on maybe 2% of enterprises are running today. So 98% is barely walking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the consistency, I think, is a great point, right? And I think it's a challenge for the security teams to build frameworks and develop policies that can go across all of the functional development teams because you likely have some teams that are making stuff work and doing a great job and then other teams that are are struggling and have to do things a slightly different way and the outcome is different and then you put that across dozens of different teams and you run into this consistency uh issue when you've got you know those highly functional cross-functional teams i should say um that maybe end up with different models and now you can create a mess Oh, definitely. And it kind of reminds me, you know, back in the day when I was pen testing, uh, I ended up explaining customers multiple times why we missed that vulnerability last time around as the same pen testing company. You know, the, yep. the reality is because I don't know, maybe I was doing the test, but I, I missed that because, you know, pen test is not necessarily scientific at many levels. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the other person was just worse than me because, you know, it's just all human driven. And you can be on a good day, you can be on a bad day. Uh, but like that, that kind of shows like the consistency in security, unless you got the automation and flow or not, is like extremely hard to achieve mm. because now all you have, how good security on an AppSec team is how good one person that you hired there, which brings the even bigger problem. Like how do you even hire app security people? They, they don't exist almost. Like they're just like such a low amount of high quality EPSIC mm-hmm. people out there, even the biggest organizations are having massive trouble hiring EPSIC people. And right. honestly, if anyone is getting into security, like this is such a wide open space right now and it you is. should be just doing this. <laughs> yeah, because when we talk AppSec, that could be an app that's written in C++, right? Or it could be a mobile app. And those are two wildly different skill sets, especially when we talk about how do you apply the security uh, you know, of those different applications. Absolutely. I mean, to be honest, I am when I talk about app, like 99% of the time, I, I mean web applications. Mm. And it can be written in various languages, but the web application dynamics and vulnerabilities are very are similar to each other mm-hmm. in across the languages. Uh, while you got obviously use specific things to languages and frameworks. Um, so as you said, when you are on mobile or native or web, you completely get a different set of security problems and like i I for myself like if you were to ask me you know about mobile security i I don't know like i'm 
I don't know so much about it. I cannot even explain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like web application security on the other hand is like a, its own niche. I, I, I wouldn't say niche today, but like its own thing. And I think many similar things to main things in security, right? Like um, I've been doing security for almost like um, 19 years now. And if you were to ask me about crypto, hey, look, I know the basics, but that's the extent of it, right. you know. In all those years, no, I didn't get into crypto as like a security expert because it's its own thing. Yeah, and, and you're going to find that across your, uh, you know, cross-functional teams too. They're all going to have different challenges and different areas of, of expertise and have different gaps. And applying security across those is extremely challenging. But I think is really the where we're headed as an industry uh, is that security role being spread out a little bit, but also still trying to main that central we define the policy. We work with developers to say what breaks a build, what doesn't, but the security team still needs to manage the policies, uh, manage the secrets, right, and, and things of that nature. Um, it's also a guidance issue. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, if you were to assume every single software dev team knows the best practice in application security, I mean, we, we are assuming just way too much. Uh, you need the guidance and that best mm -hmm. practice. So in, in a common organization, your key people who can strategize at that level are sitting on that centralized groups. And like one thing we very much specialize that actually working with those key groups and, and key managers like director of security or, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes up to CISO if it's a, um, a little bit smaller organization or even in the bigger organizations and give them the guidance. Hey, this is the best practice of web security, which is uh, a good chunk of it is on us, but a good chunk of it is also off our product. But we still give them the guidance. Hey, this is what you should be building. And we know this because, you know, we, we actually got like 3,500 customers or something dealing with the same challenge. And not every single one of them at this scale, but this is what we specialize, uh, you know, over many years and over a decade now. So, but if you expect that guidance or understanding, which you can barely even find at director level, if you expect that in individual software development teams, individual contributors, I mean, th that's not going to be there. Mm. It's just not going to be there. So you will get a lot of wrong implementation, wrong approaches, and you will say you will see developers are not really trusting the security teams, even when it's one of their team members, because the tool set, the approach, uh, the relation, the, the best practice implementation is not there. All the more reason why you need a good DAST. Uh, and for folks that want to learn more, you can uh, find more and get a trial at securityweekly.com forward slash NetSparker. Farah, thank you very much uh, for coming on this edition of Enterprise Security Weekly. Thanks a lot, Paul. With that, we'll take a short break and to come back with our final interview for the show. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.